Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio in St. Louis is... Joe Manis. And our very special guest today, who seems very amused by our theme music, by the way. <laughs> Colleen Wassinger. A St. Louis County Councilwoman. We're we're just notching down the St. Louis County officials that we've yes. had on this show. We only need to get Councilman uh, Mike O'Meara, Pat Dolan... Kevin O'Leary and Bob McCullough on this show, and we will have interviewed all of them. So, yes, yeah, so this is an open advertisement to all those names. All those people. <laughs> We're thrilled to have you on today. Well, thank uh, you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, before we, we ask you about yourself, just tell us a little bit about the 3rd the District and what it encompasses. Okay. We're kind of in the central corridor of the county. On the north, it's about 130,000 people. Um, the north border is slightly north of Olive Street Road. You come down on the west. 141 is the main thoroughfare, but it does extend out a little bit farther than that now uh, due to the redistricting, all the way down to the Jefferson County border, and then it comes up on the east side, Warson. Mm-hmm. All the way up to the top. And, and the, I looked at a map today. The cities include places like Fenton, Valley Park, Sunset Hills, and South St. Louis County, but it also includes central municipalities like Town and Country. Right. Uh, I guess parts of Manchester, parts of Creep Corps, parts of Chesterfield, Frontenac, and um, a bunch of other Sunset municipalities. Hills, right. Yes. So it's most many of the county's most prosperous communities, correct? I like to call it the powerhouse of the county. <laughs> My other council members may not agree, but. <laughs> Well, especially uh, your Republican counterpart, Mark Carter. Um, actually, we always talk about firsts on this show, but th- you're actually, I think, the third guest we've had on who I guess calls town and country home. We've had John Deal on like 3,000 times at this point, and we've also Four. had we've also Four. we've also had Sue Allen on. Um, okay. So you're we're just we're just continuing the domination of that municipality on this show. <laughs> That's certainly where I started. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into politics. Um, Well, if you would have asked me probably 10 years ago if I'd be doing what I'm doing today, the answer would have been no. I was practicing law for the Desco group, and um, my husband and I were married and had two kids. And I decided to scale back the work schedule and work part-time and wanted to get involved in a little bit of community activity. So the Town & Country Board of Aldermen position was vacated because I believe the then alderman was John Dalton. He was elected mayor. And so I was appointed to finish out his term and then ran uh, for a seat on the Board of Aldermen. And then Skip Mange, who was held the third district council seat prior to me, um, decided not to run again. So that's when I stepped up to the plate and here threw, I am. Threw your hat in the ring. I think that 2006 primary, you ran against former Fenton mayor, Dennis Hancock. Correct. And I, I, would you say that was your most competitive race so yes. far? What, yes. What was it like running for the, for that level? I mean, we had Mark Harder on who basically did something similar, went from alderman or councilman to county council. What was it like to, to enter into the fray, so to speak? Well, it was a, it was a completely different election. As you, it, the district obviously is much larger, and um, it it was a lot a lot of work. And and Mayor Hancock, who I, obviously I got to know, was you know a formidable opponent, and we worked really really hard. My husband was a huge help, and knocking door to door nightly, and I don't think Dennis expected that. 
and you know we we successfully won and um, it was a lot of work though and I learned a lot about the election process and but it was it was a very competitive race now now your husband also has been active in civic affairs if not uh, politics do you want to mention that just briefly oh sure my husband David he's an attorney here in town he did serve on the Board of Curators Correct. for the University of Missouri Systems for six years. Those are six-year terms. He was appointed by Matt Blunt, and um, he finished that term, I guess, about two years ago. And uh, so he's pretty active. So he's just enjoying practicing law and not being a curator anymore, <laughs> I imagine. Right. Though I, that I, was a lot of work, too. Yeah, I hear the, the curators do get to, like, go to sporting events because one of my friends, Tony Luke Meyer, was oh, okay. actually the student curator. But it is a lot of work. There's a lot of scrutiny involved, and I, it is an unpaid public service position. So I imagine when you watched him go through that, maybe you thought twice a couple times about going into politics yourself. Is well, because he had, he, he attracted some controversy on, on some various issues, uh, particularly spending issues and some stuff involving Amazon, which won't, won't get into, into the detail. But the point was, your husband was extremely active as a curator. That's the point I'm trying to get at. Yes, he was active. And he enjoyed it. I mean, he did. He went to school there. He's a graduate of the Columbia Mizzou. And, you know, he was, it, it was a unique opportunity. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Manchester. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Big question. Where'd you go to high school? Parkway West. Okay. <laughs> my, my dad, I think, went to Parkway Central. Is Did that he? is that in the Chesterfield area? Yeah. Yeah. Parkway Central is right there off of 141. Yeah. So I think I think you said Has Parkway. the best craft fair in the region. Parkway West? Yes. It well, actually, Parkway Central. Parkway, oh, Parkway West Central. has number two. Oh, it does. Now, are they the Longhorns? Yes. I think Donna Berenger went to Parkway West. I don't know really? if you were in the same year. Donna I graduated Ber- in 83. Yeah. I'm showing my age now. <laughs> I, I don't know what year she graduated, but she mentioned that, and she specifically had to mention that she was a Longhorn. So, again, not only are we have town and country dominating this show, we also have Parkway West graduates as well. So, you know, getting into kind of your role on the council, there are now five Democrats and two Republicans. And I think it's been that way for the entire time, because when you entered, I think that the fifth district seat had flipped from that, Republican to Democrat. That's right. So, you know, what was it kind of like in the early years? Because we'll talk a bit in a minute how it kind of changed dynamically. But did you feel like you were hopelessly outnumbered at all times because you were one of the two Republicans? Or was it not really the case in the early years? Well, I didn't approach it that way. Um, I mean, clearly I was outnumbered. I was There were five Democrats and two Republicans. But oftentimes I, I compare the council work to that of a, of a municipality. Obviously, I had served on the town and country board. So they are similar in that regard in the, a lot of the issues that come up. It does come down to party lines sometimes, but I don't conduct the office that way. I, f- I feel like I'm here to represent everybody. And I've got to do the best job that I can. So I try not to let that interfere with how I handle my relationships on the, with my fellow council members. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm in the minority anyway. So mm-hmm. in order to get anything done, I have to figure out a way and, to and that get was, along. That was what I was going to uh, move into a little bit because um, one of the things we've talked about in the show, especially when we had other county council people on, is the thing that I've noticed that I think starting in like 2011, especially with the parks closure fiasco, it really the the partisan lines kind of blurred quite a bit. Very it, much so at that time. And it seemed like after that point there was a there was a, like a unofficial coalition that had been built between 
I guess, three of the Democrats, uh, Stanger, Dolan, and O'Mara, and the two Republicans, you and and then Councilman Quinn. And with that five-person alliance, so to speak, you were able to stop Dooley on a lot of different things and kind of weakened him considerably as he kind of careened into his primary loss. So I guess the question I wanted to ask was, you know, before we ask you kind of about your impressions of, of the new county executive's administration, what was it kind of like when that, 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 that the dynamic on the council shifted that way? And how do you think you were involved in it? Well, I think, um, you know, it was a controversial time on the council. And the, because of the primary, the Democratic primary for the county executive race, it seemed like every vote was controversial, which oftentimes is not the case at the council. So, um, you know, it, it was interesting. I think, again, I tried to be objective in analyzing the issues and, and fair. You know, some of them, I think, were politically introduced at a, at a time that was questionable. And um, that made it that made it controversial. I Can think. I ask so, for examples on that? Well, I just think some of the proposals handed down by County Executive Dooley, um, the one uh, provision in particular was the minority contracting um bill that he proposed and it went back and forth and back and forth and and you know that was controversial that generated a lot of um, participation from the public too Mm -hmm. which is always a good thing yeah and i think the reason it was controversial from my perspective is that it was brought so close to the election i mean i followed minority participation struggles with the metropolitan sewer district and those have taken years to iron out i mean i asked county executive Dooley a lot like why now? Why didn't you start this earlier? Why are you putting it forth five or six months before an, an election? And, you know, he had his reasons, and I'm not going to litigate the whether that's a good or a bad issue, but I think that there were other people on both sides who kind of felt that way as well. Now, as a, now you're a veteran council person, how do you characterize your relationship with uh, how it was with Dooley and how it may or may not have changed with Stinger? particularly since you and Stinger did work together, as Jason mentioned, on the parks and some other issues. Right. Well, I would say right now it's evolving because he is he is in a new position. He's the county executive. And um, when he was a council member, you know, I did work well with him. I hope that we'll be able to work well together in his new position. And to date, I've, I've been uh, successful in doing that with, with Steve. I think he's ready to uh, move the county forward in a in a positive direction, especially amongst all this turmoil. Turmoil. It's you know it's been a difficult time for sure, um, but he's got to he's got to get his arms around. I think the whole entity and figure everything out. And he's he's taking his time in doing that and trying to make some good decisions. I think he's got a plan for the health department, uh, the Department of Transportation. We recently changed the name of the county highway department to the Department of Transportation. Well, the, and, and he just announced today a new um, director. And I think the council That's confirmed right. him We yesterday. confirmed him last night. Yes. We met and, and interviewed. Um, I think Nicholas Gardner. Nicholas Gardner, okay. And he he's his resume is wonderful, and hopefully he'll do a terrific job. And i got to ask, because um, he, he did end up hiring a couple of prominent Republicans into his administration, including your former legislative aide. Um, Mike Chapman. Mike Chapman. Did, was that surprising that he ended up doing that? Not only did he hiring like Repu- Republicans or, you know, aides to Republicans, because also Greg Quinn is now the Department of Revenue director, but actually placing him in pretty high end 
positions, not uh, just a tokenism per se. Like, what was kind of your reaction to that? Well, I think that speaks well for Steve, that he does want to have a well-balanced government, which will consider all sides. And Mike Chapman w- worked for me, and he did a terrific job. And I think he'll do the same for Steve. And Greg, I was a little bit ex- surprised with Greg, but I think it's... Because he has a law practice. Mm-hmm. He has a law practice, and he stepped back from that, and his son was working for him at that time. So Greg, I think Greg's enjoying his new position. He's probably like, wow, I never thought I'd be in the, the belly of county power this much under a Democratic administration. I know. How does all of this, uh, as I mentioned, the, how does all of this compare to what your relationship was with uh, then-county executive Dooley, who was county executive for 11 years. I know. And I like Charlie. Charlie was a nice, personable guy. And I, you know, he tried, he, he tried to do what he thought was right. And um, Steve, I, you know, how does it compare? Um, you know, I feel closer to Steve. I feel like I have more, I know him better than I knew Charlie, simply because we work together a lot more. Um, so I'm hopeful that, you know, we'll be able to get things done in the 3rd District, obviously. I mean, those are, that's the district that I represent and that which I'm most primarily concerned with. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Now, you know, it, it's, it, you're right. It is kind of a getting an arms around mentality now for Stanger. He's hiring new people. You know, he's kind of dealing with stuff from the last administration. But I think that the biggest thing that he's done so far is – something that he said about this proposed stadium. Unlike the mayor of St. Louis, who has been kind of noncommittal of this, he pretty much said that regardless of the legalities of the county charter amendment involving public financing, that there should be a public vote on the football stadium. I have a clip of him saying that right here. And and, and let me say it this way, because I want to be clear. I prefer a public vote, okay? And with respect to any particular financing arrangement, I'm not the attorney who would be handling that. Okay, I'm the county executive. So I can only tell you what I prefer. And by the way, the other voice in there is me trying to, you know, fend off his his wrath, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah, but he said that several times. I did a story on him just a few weeks ago on his first 100 days. And and that was his big point. And I have to say, I was talking with Jeanette Mott Oxford, who actually helped craft the county and city ordinance on public financing. And she was kind of surprised that... The county executive took that position because in her experience with Buzz Westfall and I guess Dooley, they were very gung-ho on public financing St. Louis stadiums. And while I don't think Stenger is necessarily against it, he's been pretty adamant the public should weigh in on it. What was kind of your reaction to that mentality? Well, I think um, Steve's kind of doing what he said he would do when he was elected. And he's trying to look out for the taxpayer and how we spend our money. And public financing of stadiums is a controversial issue. We, we paid for or participated in the current stadium. The, those bills are not even completely paid off yet. And um, so I think it's, number one, I think it's premature really for us to be talking about funding a stadium when we don't even know if we have a team. Now, I know there are a lot of politicking that goes on in uh, reference to getting a team. Number one, to even stay here, I, I heard that the NFL homepage actually has the LA Rams as a link on there instead of the St. Louis Rams. Yeah. Well, to my so knowledge, now. they have not yet moved. No, they haven't. So, you know, it's it, it's premature, I think, to, to talk about funding a new stadium. Um, in my personal opinion on it is you know, I, I think the voters have a right to, to have a say in this, whether it's through their elected representatives on the council or 
up for a public vote. I think um, that's something to be debated. I know that there's one particular group that's very, very active and is, you know, stipulating that the ordinance calls for a public vote. Yeah. And it's kind of a moot point right now because St. Louis County is no longer part of the financing package, which I think brings an open question of like how they're going to pay for the public portion if they're talking about extending the bonds. Does it mean that the state has to pay more, the city has to pay more? Well, and Governor Governor Nixon is the one, right, who um, came out and said St. Louis County's participation is no longer And I think that, I mean, based on when I talked to Stanger a few weeks ago, the implication I got, Stanger didn't say this. He said that when he talked to the governor, the governor just said we didn't need the county. But the implication is it's because... He's been adamant about the public vote, basically. Yeah, because he's been adamant about the public vote and that the... um, Governor thought it would just be if they can do it without him, let's just do it it without him. Well, I mean, I think either way, whether it's a public vote or a vote of the council, it's going to take some legislative approval, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's a public vote or through the county council. I'm not sure how it would turn out. What do you see as the biggest issues facing the county right now? Well, I think, you know, budget-wise, we've got issues that we have to digest and make sure we have adequate funding to maintain our current level of services. I know um, the police have been uh, and recently did receive um, an increase in their salary, um, which is much needed. There's been an analysis going on on police pay, and the county police pay is lower than the national average. So there. I think financing and budgeting is a big issue that that has to be analyzed, and public health and transportation and the the bread the the bread and butter aspects of government. Yeah, right. One thing I wanted to make clear to our listeners is that the county oversees; it varies, but in general, the county's power is basically in the unincorporated areas. So, like if you're, let's say, I live in Webster Groves. Well, the county doesn't oversee Webster services unless Webster has contracted with the county for certain services, and that's true, I think, with most of the other. Or you know, if they have a if they have a health department location there, if there's a county road that goes through. Well, that's there. true because I think that's a common um, misunderstanding among just our regular our, an average citizen. You, we really a lot of people, and most of the third district is incorporated. Right. So you know that what the county does for the for the third district and those that are still in a municipality is you know we there's an arterial road system the police force does provide services over and above what the municipal forces do not provide so our police force really is a regional in that regard they do a lot for our municipalities but the county police aren't like over the local police and i think that's where they got some confusion last summer with the ferguson thing yeah, there, yes. there, i mean the city only has to ask in. them to call there were right. a lot of people yes. who thought that the high-end equipment that was derisively called like militarization of police was ferguson's police department when in actuality it was st louis county which is one of the biggest police departments in the entire state but they had been asked to come yes in. That's whether right. one agrees with them or not when, they, had the, been they had been asked, asked, to, asked to, come. to come in we didn't have any right. governing authority or yeah. jurisdiction yeah, the point i was trying to make there is it probably makes sense for a large police department that covers three or four hundred thousand people in an area the size of a tiny state to have a lot of high-end equipment well and the county has a million people so even though many of them have like local gov- local police forces ultimately if they keep asking the the county 
police to come in and some local municipalities have been disbanding their police and just asking the county yeah. police to but that was actually services. the next topic i wanted to go into it's a good because segue. it is a great segue <laughs> great job guys <laughs> one of the things that uh, uh county executive stanger has been talking about recently is trying to get a sales tax increase for the unincorporated parts to go to st louis county police now i did look at a map there are unincorporated parts of st louis county in your district there so are. this would affect you and it has to be done through state enabling legislation. Yes, I'm that's just, right. I'm going to play a clip of him basically explaining why it's needed um, right now. And I believe that uh, for a county of a million people with the policing needs uh, that we have, uh, it's something that must be changed. We, we have to give our voters the right to vote on whether or not we will have such a tax. Now, I'll get to the legislative machinations of this issue in a minute, but just generally and philosophically, what do you think of the idea of at least allowing people in unincorporated St. Louis County to vote on this type of tax? Generally, I'm not opposed to letting people vote on a proposed tax. I think they ultimately they should decide the issue. Then you have to back up and say, well, is this needed? You know, how, how much money are we talking about raising? What are we going to do with the money that we currently have, and why isn't that enough? to cover the the proposed increase um, that Steve is looking to pay for county police. I haven't heard all the specifics. Mm -hmm. They are just trying to get the enabling legislation. But ultimately, I think it should be up to the voters to decide whether or not it should be a sales tax. You know, there's a debate on that, too. Is that a regressive tax? At what point do we stop passing these sales taxes? Mm -hmm. Because we, that's how we paid for our um, emergency communications center and the new interoperable communication among first responders, which was, which was a great great ta uh, reason to pass the tax. I think it was much needed. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's kind of a, a an ongoing issue, and we'll just have to see. Yeah, because what he told me and others is that, especially after the Ferguson unrest, first of all, there was a lot of overtime that has to be paid. A, a huge, I want to say five or six million dollars. Yeah, it's, it's an enormous amount. And, you know, there was damage to vehicles. And I think just generally, since unincorporated St. Louis County it takes in about three or 400,000 people. I don't know the exact population, but it's almost comparable to the city of St. Louis population-wise, probably much larger geographic-wise than the city of St. Louis. And, and most of mm -hmm. South County. Most of, most well, of the sixth district yeah, is most of unincorporated. District. Yes. So his argument is, you know, I guess most of the money being paid to fund the St. Louis County Police Department in unincorporated areas is being paid through the general fund. That's and, right. And I think that he thinks there needs to be another source paying for that. I, I, do you, I know, have you talked with him about that? I have and, not yet spoken to him about it. And um, I think he's working on just being able, the enabling legislation allowing, um, what would happen is if the state does allow it, they would then have to get something passed at the council level to actually put it on the ballot. So I'm guess assuming that when that time comes, we'll hear more from Steve on the proposed details. Now, here's the twist, though, because um, while that seems like a simple idea to get that enabling legislation passed, it's kind of become mixed up in this decades-old battle over the county sales tax. Um, I, hear, I see both people kind of smirking about that because it's kind of hilarious if you're into that nerdy sales tax sort of but thing. But it's very important. It it's is... been around for decades. This whole fight over the pool versus... Uh, uh, the pool cities versus point of sale cities has been going on and for decades. I would just Google that. I can't really explain it. <laughs> it it's is very way, way too complicated. But the, the long and short of it is Chesterfield and some other cities, and I think Fenton is included in that, 
have been really upset with the way the sales tax distribution system has been for different reasons. But especially Chesterfield, which is a pool city, because yes. it incorporated relatively recently. Right, because they kind of incorporated after what, what's what been happening is there's been an attempt to prevent any additional point-of-sale cities. So new cities like Chesterfield are pool cities. Are pool cities. cities. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem here, although I, uh, other people would say it's not a problem, is that Chesterfield has cultivated a very large retail sales development in the Chesterfield Valley. They have a couple of outlet malls. They have a mall. And from the, the perspective of the mayor and the other people there, they're generating all this sales tax revenue. And they have to give it basically to people that are not have any commercial development. And it's been a frustration, especially of the mayor of Chesterfield, Bob Nation, for, for many years. In fact, here's a clip using very colorful analogy to describe his frustration. On the one hand, you have the recipients of, of, of pooled dollars, and then you have, on the other hand, a, a few cities like Chesterfield who are upholding, bolstering the pool. So it's like candy. You know, once uh, once the baby gets the candy, they, they keep wanting more and more. So I guess the baby here are the pool recipients that are not Chesterfield, basically, although I'm not sure if I got that metaphor correctly. But as a county council person who has all these municipalities, and I'm sure that there's different designations. I mean, what do you kind of make of Chesterfield's uh, arguments on this? Because I believe part of Chesterfield is in your district A as small well. part, yes, yes. Um, this issue, as Joe said, has been going on for a long, long time. And I never even paid attention to it until I came on the council and realized how very important it is. Um, Mayor Welsh from the city of Webster Groves is equally adamant that this system should remain just as passionately as Mayor Nations of Chesterfield is. It's a philosophical issue, I think. You know, it in terms of how our county was originally laid out, this was done years and years and years ago. And this is how they came up with a way where all these municipalities could exist, right or wrong, no matter how you feel about it. That's the way it is now. Yeah, so, so you have some municipalities, the point of sale who get to keep they theirs. get to keep their 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 sales Correct. tax and it's this one percent sales Correct. tax um and, and then there's a little portion that everybody shares and that's then the right pool cities share everything and this all was put into place literally really before jason was born yes so. literally before it was born before 1984 <laughs> yes well before but i think that the, the issue here and the reason we're mentioning both of these issues is in this enabling legislation there has been some additional amendments to change how the sales tax pool is done. It's kind of intertwining the issues. And apparently Chesterfield or their lobbyists or their allies are very aggressive in kind of slapping this amendment on wherever the county tax goes. I did speak with Steve, uh, County Executive Stanger yesterday about that, and yeah. he indicated that that very thing is happening because Steve obviously feels very passionate about getting the police tax mm-hmm. enabling legislation passed. So I don't know who the lobbyist is for the city of Chesterfield, but they are apparently trying to get their uh, sales tax revised proposal on the same bill, so thereby ensuring passage in, yeah. in their minds. And so. I think what Stinger said is he's not he's not really thrilled that that's happening, but he feels that getting the tax passed is so important that if a bill comes with both things, I think he'll grudgingly support it. I think his obvious preference is to not have the sales tax pool situation in there. Does right. it put you in an odd situation since you're re- Republican and 
like we've talked about before in the county council, the partisan lines aren't nearly so uh, strict. But in Jeff City, they tend to be. But you know a lot of the players. I mean, have you been asked to sort of talk to some of these people to kind of get them off the ledge on the Jesterfield stuff? Or Well, I think um, it, it, it's somewhat, I do feel internal conflict a little bit because I, you know, I serve on the board for the county. And the county would stand to lose about $850,000, I believe, under the current proposal. So Because the county is part of the pool and right. the amount of money they would get to keep would go down. But would continue. go down, that's right. And Chesterfields would go up. Uh, a little, I think. I'm not sh- exactly sure how much. I heard around 225000 but yeah. I, I don't know if that's accurate or not. But nonetheless, so um, whether or not I've been asked to reach out to the mayor of Fenton or the mayor of Chesterfield, I have not been asked to do that. Um, it is kind of a state issue for now because that's where all the material changes would occur. If there is going to be a redistribution, it would have to be done at the state level. There's nothing that the county council could do on that matter. Um, so it, it'll, it's been an ongoing debate for years. And I think it was redone. And now every few years, it seems to come up again and again. The city of Chesterfield has been trying to get something passed. I know for sure for the, at least the last two or three years, would, which would allow them to keep ideally all of their money that they generate from their sales Which taxes. is not going to happen. Now, has Speaker Deal, who also is from your, your yes, district, yes. and some of the others, have they talked to you about this or at least kind of asked for your opinion on it? I did speak with Speaker Deal a couple weeks ago about it, and uh, he seemed to think that the one proposal that Chesterfield is trying to attach to a bill would likely pass. Um, that was probably about three weeks ago, but now the session is nearing an end. And I think everybody is trying to scramble to get something passed. And there are some decent, there is a lot of good work being done there. Senator Eric Schmidt has the municipal court reform bill, which he is trying to get through. Um, I think that that bill is important and timely, especially in light of everything that's gone on in this community over the past year. Would that impact your municipalities greatly? Do any of them go over 10% or 15% as far as revenue? Well, there's actually, there was a list published in the paper. Yes. Um, and there were, no, I don't think it, now the debate is between 10 and 15%. Yes. yes. So I think a couple of them may be slightly over. I don't know. I'd have to double check but that. But nothing like, thir- none of them take in like 30 or no. 40% at this point. So Not where, that I'm aware of. Where are there, there are some municipalities in, in other parts of St. Louis County and elsewhere in the state that... That's right. In the rural county, there uh, counties as well. There, there is um, this, a similar issue that they take in way more revenue based on speeding tickets, and fines. The other thing is, if you read some of those fines, failure to show, they tack on another fifty dollars or whatever it is, and and it just can get out of control very quickly. Um, so I think reform is it would be a good thing, yeah. and I'm hopeful that that bill can get passed. What's your assessment of how? Th- how the council has responded to all the Ferguson unrest and afterwards, because you've been under the fire yeah, line we, too. And we asked this to both Councilman Harder, who was in the audience, and Councilman Page, who was there with you behind the dais, so to speak, just to give our, our listeners a little bit of a picture here. During the aftermath of Michael Brown's death, the county council became a place for people to vet, and a sometimes very, very mm-hmm. angrily. And um, you were kind of a spectator and taking in a lot of this. I'd be interested to hear your perspective on what you felt those those months on the council meant, basically. 
Well, I think clearly it showed there was a lot of civil unrest in in Ferguson. And I mean, seeing the the passion that people felt on both sides, you know, there were people, there was one woman there who came and spoke in favor of the police one, actually two or three nights she was there. And the, the rest of the room was just filled with protesters who were on the other side of the issue. So that took great courage for her to, I think, to stand up and do that. And it took great courage for the people who just felt that Michael Brown was treated unjustly. Um, and, and it was, I think the council is a source of where people can air their grievances. Whether or not we can do anything about that yeah. is often, you know, on that particular instance, it was the city of Ferguson. Um, we just happened to have a venue where they could vent and uh, express their uh dismay at how things were handled. Because I was actually kind of surprised because right after the shooting, um, the council meetings were still pretty empty. Uh, You had a couple of people speak, including my good friend Mark Wieskovan, the 11-year-old that I profiled for um, Weekend Edition. But you didn't really get what we were talking about until like late September, October, so to speak. So maybe it was a sense that maybe people figured this was a venue for people to go to besides Ferguson. I mean, that's just a theory. But I do want to point out, too, though, that the council did uh, uh, appropriate a million dollars together with the United Way and some of the other not-for-profit agencies in in our community trying to help the the residents of Ferguson who needed help. In addition, County Executive Stanger appropriated $500,000 to help the businesses recover and rebuild and or even demolish. I, th- I think some of the properties have been demolished that um, needed to be taken care of for that community. It was an eyesore. And so, you know, we have made some financial incentives or um, uh, contributions to that community to, to try to see to help them overcome a terrible situation. One quick question, though. What's your, po- I mean, do you are you looking at ever running for something else besides county council? Yeah, because I, just, just as I kind of, a, I, I think I told you this a year or so ago, but when I was making potential candidates for that 24th district seat, I actually put you near the top of the list yeah, the because state Senate seat. you covered mm-hmm. a large area. You, you've been in politics for a while. Obviously, you decided to run for re-election. You had a really tough re-election where you faced nobody. <laughs> I prefer those. <laughs> but I, I, well, I have been curious of whether you, you know, are interested in maybe running for the Missouri legislature or something someday as well? Well, someday, you know, who knows what the future holds. I, I did talk to Senator Lamping at one point about his seat and, and, and he was the fact that he had decided not to run again. But for me right now, um, it, this works and I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to serve and, and try to make a difference here in the county and we'll see what the future holds. We shall see. Thank you very much for being on our show. We were thrilled to have you. Uh, to close us out, you can find all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at, at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. I don't believe you have a Twitter account so people can just write you snail mail or call your office or, or something. Email, or email the county. See yeah. Wassinger. Do, do, yeah. do you have a Facebook account? Not, no. I don't. Not <laughs> and I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> but I already knew you didn't have either one. So I don't, I, I, that's why I used, a, used a, 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 a humorous barb to it's, deflect that. Well, it's funny when you say email is now snail mail, if that's what you were referring to. <laughs> Twitter's not as quicker. Yeah, well, it could get people in trouble as well. <laughs> Until next week, thank you for listening and so long.